men. Well, I want to welcome everybody that's watching by our live stream on YouTube or social media right now. Thank you so much for tuning in and those of you that are listening by podcast. One of the things that the Lord has begun to speak to me about for 2019 that's been really heavy on my heart is the fact that we're going to be having a greater opportunity in all facets of our life to share the gospel. More and more doors of opportunity are going to be opening for us to share the gospel. Here's why. It is crazy in this world, and it's getting darker. And the darker the world gets, the brighter that we shine. We're called to be the light of the world. So the more difficult and polarized our nation in this world becomes, the greater the opportunity we're going to have to share our faith, okay? Now, I've talked a lot about being persecuted. Last year, I taught a message towards the end of the year titled The Persecution Solution. I would really encourage you guys to go back and listen to that because I believe that the Lord has really given me some great understanding on on persecution and suffering as Christians and what that looks like and what our response should be. But I really want to help you to confidently share your faith and have an understanding of the gospel and to be able to accurately express and share the gospel with anybody that asks you, and so does the Lord. I feel like there's going to be incredible areas this year for you to share your faith. And let me just tell you a few areas that are really top for me. Right now, believe it or not, outside of Rock City Church, my greatest area of ministry that I've been preaching the gospel out on the streets is to Uber drivers, okay? I'm telling you, I think last year I took probably about 50 or 60 Ubers. Now, don't ask me why I took so many Ubers, but Uber, Lyft, whatever. The point is, is that Uber, for me, when I ride with an Uber driver, it is the perfect setup for me to share my faith and minister to that person. Let me tell you why. Number one, I'm paying them, okay? Number two, they all want five-star reviews, and they all want a really good tip, right? And so they're on my dime, and they're captivated for that moment in the car, all right? Now, I told the Lord a long time ago, every time I get into an Uber, I would witness or pray or share something of good news with that Uber driver. And in all the Uber accounts and encounters I've had, I've had people that have wept and cried and God filled the car that, uh, the cabin of that car. And then I've had encounters where people rejected me and didn't want to hear anything that I've had to say. I've been with Buddhists, atheists, Muslims, and Jews. I've been with all kinds of believers and non-believers inside an Uber. Some people have broke down weeping and crying and getting deliverance as the Spirit of God came, and I prophesied and ministered to that person. On the flip side, I've had people that want nothing to do with what I have to say, but I don't really care. Again, they're on my dime, and so I lovingly share with them. They may push back, but even in the end, I ask them if I can pray for them, and sometimes they're like, uh, well, uh, come on, let's pray. Put my hand on their shoulder, and we pray, all right? And so I'm not, being, I'm not out to be off- offensive or to not show them love or to go through Christian duty. What I'm out to do is be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus everywhere I go. Because I just so happen to believe that we're the body of Christ. I just so happen to believe that when people look at me, they see him. I just so happen to believe that the way that God shows himself on earth is through us. Now, God's always displaying himself. God is always wanting to show himself to you. Look at the person sitting next to you. Look at the birth process. Study out an eyeball. Look at the beach, the stars, the sky, the trees. All of creation displays 
the character and nature of who God is, okay? The invisible attributes show the visible, or the visible attributes show the invisible characteristics of who he is. So I know that God wants to always show himself off, but at the same time, he chooses his people to be his hands and feet everywhere we go, right? And so no matter who I encounter, I'm like, this is an opportunity for me. Now, there are times I don't feel it. There's times I don't want to do it. In fact, one time when we were in New York, I got food poisoning. We caught a 45-minute Uber drive, and I'm laid out in the back seat. I'd been throwing my guts up, and I couldn't say a word. And I felt like God had some compassion on me that day, right? But in general, I, I, I'm not afraid to open my mouth because I realize I'm probably never going to see that person again. Probably. Now, here in Corpus, they may come to this church. I might, by chance, get that Uber driver again. In fact, I've gotten one guy a couple times, and I could see it on his face when he pulled up. He's like, oh, man, here we go again, right? So I have a lot to say in a short amount of time. The first thing you need to understand is that I love those people, and I love you. This is a hurting and broken and lost and dying world. It is madness without Jesus. And if I don't open my mouth, who will? If you don't, who will, okay? You can't trust somebody else to do it. There are, I can't remember the last time somebody came and preached to me anywhere outside of church, ever. And most of the people that have tried to, either at the mall or on the streets, are going through Christian duty, or they're dysfunctional, or they're not authentic, they're not convincing, or they're not genuine. Now, I'm still grateful that people would make the attempt to preach to me out on the streets or at the mall, but I've seen so much craziness out there that when people come up to talk to me, I'm measuring them pretty quickly. What church are you part of? Where have you come from? Who are you connected to? Why are you out preaching right now? Not to throw them off, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I don't love them, but I've seen too many people out there without authenticity and compassion doing it out of love. They're doing it out of their Christian duty, and you can't formulize evangelism. You can't formulize evangelism. This isn't about another jewel in my crown, another feather in my cap, or another notch in my belt. It's about love. And it's because people need what you have. People need to know authentically what's inside of you because they're hurting and they're broken if they don't have Jesus inside of them. Okay? And so you need, this isn't like how many notches, how many people, thousands of people got saved. This is about loving people. I have no agenda. I have no hook. I'm not trying to convert them, and I'm not trying to convert you. Jesus does the converting. What I do is the representing. That's what you do. You are a representation on earth of the embodiment of Christ today. You're his hands and feet, and you're his mouthpiece. I don't have to try to save anybody. It's not my job to save you. Jesus does the saving. He's the rescuer, the deliverer, the defender, and the one that transforms your life. But it's my job to give you every, every opportunity to flame on. And you know how you do that? You flame on yourself. When you're burning bright like a bonfire, it's contagious. I'm telling you, it's contagious, okay? And so we're gonna talk a little bit today and maybe the next few weeks about how you share your faith and how important it is to share your faith even when you have incredible adversity against your life. And the reason why I'm teaching this right now is because I'm going to be going into a series on mental health titled Blind Mind. And if we don't have an accurate understanding of what's happening to people and how we're to respond to that, it doesn't matter why it's happening in their life. You won't have power to set a captive free. Okay? 
And so I want you guys to walk in that. Let me give you some other areas. We have been in a never-ending cycle of remodel and construction projects. And let me just tell you right now, if somebody's coming to my house to cut a tree or do anything, they're going to hear the gospel. <laughs> just ask my wife. We had a painter come by the other day that had worked on my house in the past. I had wanted to give him a little bonus. I didn't see him when the job finished. It was his birthday. He reached out. I said, come by. He came in, and my wife was in the backyard. And one of Joe, you, hey, there, you're my other guy that's on my radar. You're going to get it after this. You better not leave after this service, bro. So I'll just say number one came by yesterday. And dude, I love this guy enough to take the time, no matter what's happening, to tell him what I'm seeing in his life and how critical it is that he takes the crown off his heart and surrenders to Jesus because of all that he's already overcome. And dude, he was just like soaking it in. And my wife is like, David, where, what's happening? I'm like, I'm preaching the gospel to my boy right here in the, in the, at the door. I'm telling you, if you ring my doorbell, you are going to get the gospel. Okay? And it's not because I have to or it's because Christian duty. It's because I'm so in love with the king that I have an answer to set a captive free. And if I don't say it, who will? That's the way that God designed the kingdom to work. Tag, we're it. I say it all the time, right? So construction workers and contractors, just ask Joe. He did a lot of work on my house for a really long time. <laughs> Sorry, bro, but I love you. It was awesome. You did a great job. But we talked about Jesus. I mean, we had, we really dug deep, right? And so if somebody's coming by, they're on my dime, and we're going to talk about Jesus. Cashiers at the grocery store. You know, I found cashiers, that's the, yeah, they're so sweet. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing awesome. How are you? That's great. And the smile, I said, listen, you, thank you so much for your smile and being so sweet. Or you know what? I just want you to know, Jesus really, really loves you, and he cares so much about you. And whatever it is you're facing, you need to know that God wants to pull you out of it. Whatever it is, I have a right now word for the right now time. You don't formalize evangelism. You can't go to school to be a better evangelist. What you can do is get more of the Holy Spirit and the word in you and become who God's called you to be. And I just said that. I'm telling you, cashiers, an incredible opportunity to speak a word of life. When I get with those Uber drivers, I'm not trying to do anything but show them the love of Christ. It's their, they can respond however they want. And if somebody breaks down crying, sometimes I lead them through repentance and sometimes I lead them to Jesus and we pray and sometimes we don't because it's not a formula, everybody. It's about loving people right where they're at. Love has no hooks. Coworkers, I mean, coworkers is an awesome opportunity and you can do it. Some workplaces don't want you talking about Jesus or sharing your faith, but I'm telling you right now, God has a way. God has a way of supernaturally opening up a door by how you live your life, the way you love, the way you care for them, for you to minister and share the gospel with your coworkers, your family, your friends, your children, probably the most important, to be able to accurately explain to your children the good news of the gospel. Your church, do you know last year, 24 people got to publicly share their testimony here, 24. You know why? Because the second Wednesday of every month, we have two people come up for 20 minutes to share their testimony. 
Now, I don't know a lot of churches that will hand over the microphone, and some of the testimonies, they really bombed it because they'd never done it, but they got great feedback from a family, and they learned to do it publicly because this is the house. You learn at the home first, right? And so going into this next year, there's 24 more opportunities on Wednesday nights. And then outside of that, there's the men's group, there's the women's group, there's all kinds of other opportunities God will open up. We want you to learn to effectively be able to share your testimony and to preach the gospel, all right? Now, I can't hand the microphone over all the time, but I can sure make some space for you to get the chance to do it, all right? And there are other opportunities for you to preach here. The, the, the third Wednesday of every month, we let people come up and do some teaching and activate it, and that all depends on how your life's doing. We inspect your life, we measure your life, and we make sure that you're in a good place when you get this mic, all right? And so, outreach. You know, we, we go to Station Church every month. If you haven't done Station Church, it's easy, it's great. We're providing the food. We're the ones bringing the food and the meal. Just see Dodie. She'll take you down there. You can sit at a table with somebody that's in a, in a less fortunate situation than you. You think you got it bad, just go sit with somebody down there. If you're struggling, go get around somebody that's struggling even more. And your compassion and your heart, it puts things into perspective, okay? Now, you have to understand, I'm aggressive. And I'm very aggressive right now. Not just because it's the first of the year, but because people are dying. There are children being pedophiled. There are human trafficking victims everywhere around us. There are meth addicts and coke addicts and broken families and fatherless families all around. And the more I see it in the news and in my own community, the more violent I get to make a difference. But I can only make the difference together with you as a family. I'm way more effective together with you. Do you understand that? Our resources, our money, Everything that we do is way more effective when we're together as one than separated. You ever try to punch somebody with a finger? It doesn't work very good. But bake a fist and you're going to knock them out. All right. You shouldn't be knocking anybody out. All right. We're going to knock out the devil. Amen. So I'll show you some awesome scriptures this morning. I'm going to get you so fired up because this isn't a one-time show or a one-time message. This is a burning passion on my heart, a burning passion. Turn to 2 Timothy 4.2. The scripture makes it clear, preach the word. Preach the word is preach the word. Now the challenge is some of you don't know how to preach the word because you don't know the word. But one thing you can know is a testimony and an experience of what God's done in your life. Nobody can deny you an experience. A man with an experience is never subject to a man with an explanation. Nobody can explain away to me what God has done in my life. So the greatest weapon I have outside of the blood of Jesus is my testimony, right? So you need to know and understand that God wants you to preach the word. And there's several ways to preach the word. I believe the greatest way to preach the word is to open your mouth. That's what I believe. Then I believe you have to back it up with your lifestyle, Okay, now people say, well, your lifestyle first. I don't care, they're both equal. I have to live what I preach, I have to walk what I teach and teach what I walk, right? And so I believe my life and your life, the way that you live, preaches the gospel. I believe we're to preach the word and we're to be ready when it's in season and out. And the word out of season means when it is the most inopportunistic time. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a rush, I've been in a hurry, or I'm not feeling good, or something's going on, and God just pops somebody right in front of me and says, I want you to share the gospel with them or pray for them or encourage them. And I'm like, 
but I'm late, okay? And I know it's the Lord. Now, you gotta be responsible to your family, and I don't put preaching and ministry before my kids and my family. I've had this conversation with a very good friend of mine here. It's like, if I go out to the park and I'm watching my kids, there I could be preaching to 100 people, but I got my eye on my kids right now, okay? And I don't preach to everyone everywhere that I go. I want you to know that. You gotta be spirit-led and have the eyes and the vision and the mind of Christ when you share your faith. Don't be that weird, religious, dutiful person that has a weird persona that's not even the real guy preaching the gospel everywhere you go. Be authentic because people know when you're not being authentic and that's where the word convince comes from. Guys, you know the best way to be convincing is to be authentic. You can't change who you are. All you can do is be yourself and what God's doing in your life and it's out of that conviction comes convincing, right? Convincing is to be authentic. And the best way I can convince somebody is who I am confidently as a son and the way that I love them really well with the power of God, all right? So we have to be able to convince, rebuke. The word rebuke is actually, is actually a legal term. And this word rebuke means that we're putting people under examination and we're putting people in subjection to the truth, right? Now, a lot of people don't like to be rebuked or corrected. I mean, most people don't like to be rebuked or corrected. But the Bible says better a rebuke from a friend than a kiss from an enemy. If you love me enough, you'll, ref you'll not be afraid to speak the truth into my life. And if there's error in my way or things you need, feel need to be aligned and corrected, I want you to speak into my life. What I don't want you to do is gossip about me behind my back. Right? And so we have to be confidently be able to convince, rebuke, and exhort. The word exhort means to build up. It means to build people's lives. It's to give them the building blocks that they need to become everything that they're called to be, right? So people come here with all different types of life stages. Some people are like baby babies in the spirit. Some are pre-K. Some are in second grade. Some are in eighth grade. Some of you are university level or PhD Bible scholars. But in a family, you're all raised together. And that's what God does, is God raises us all together, so we're very patient in the process with you. Some people are hurt, angry, just coming right out of drugs in the club scene. Some of you don't have never even been to church, but you heard about me or Rock City and you're here. There are tons of people that come here that haven't been to church in 30, 40 years, or never people have come here. And so it takes time to learn and to become and to come to this place. That's why my heart as a spiritual father is to see you guys grow up so that you would be able to live it and to preach it and to convince, rebuke, and exhort. How? With a lot of long-suffering. And let me tell you, if you're going to hang around Rock City, you're going to need a lot of long-suffering. It means to be really, 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 really patient. Like overly patient. And it means to not complain. It means to trust. It means to understand we're all in this together. I came out of a fog when I started Rock City Church. In fact, when we started Rock City, I was still in a fog. Most people have only come from institutionalized broken churches or they've been hurt by ministries, hurt by pastors or coming straight out of the world and their kids are gonna drop F-bombs right with your kid back in the children's ministry and they heard it at church. Yeah, because we're reaching the world. We're reaching those that don't know or don't have what we have, right? And so we've gotta be extremely patient with other people, with each other, and even with our own selves, amen? 
All right. Yeah. Come on. I'm fired up today. Unfortunately, many people don't know how to confidently share their faith or to defend what they believe and also to be confident in their own life, right? And so there's a lot of questions that you could be asked that many people, believe it or not, don't know how to answer. What I don't want is a bandwagon church where we're all just riding along the Christian bandwagon. What I want you to do is have effective, confident understanding of why you believe what you believe. Here's why. There is so much out there that will come against you in your faith, and they'll ask you things and questions that you have no idea how to answer. I love asking people, can you tell me why Jesus had to die on the cross? Now, I hear things like, well, we were sinners, and there had to be a sacrifice, and, uh, you know, because of sin in the world, God had to kill his only son, and because we needed reconciliation, Jesus justified us, and then we needed, uh, you know, um, all these crazy terms that the world has no idea what you're saying. You can't expect people in the world to understand why God would kill his only son. Because they're going to say, is, God, is he a child murderer? You know, there's a big argument right now out there, believe it or not, that it wasn't the Father's will to, for Jesus to die on a cross. The cross was the Romans' design, not God's design. And that is like so deceptive because the Bible makes it clear that the Lord predestined him to lay his life down on the cross and through the cross, the curse is reversed. But explaining that to somebody that has no understanding can be difficult, right? Come on, I ask people all the time, explain the blood of Jesus to me. Have you tried explaining the blood of Jesus to somebody that's not born again? They're gonna think your church is a Halloween freak show. I'm not kidding you. Now we, to us as Christians, it's normal. Understand, the blood, oh man, yeah! The power, of the, there's power in the blood, and there is. Reconciliation, he reconciled us. We have the ministry, of rec- we were justified. We have redemption. We're made righteous. But guys, those are good church Christian terms that the world doesn't use or have an understanding, right? So you've got to have the ability to explain it in layman's terms, in the right way, in the right scenario, and let me reiterate, there's not a formula. Everybody's unique and different, and their situations and circumstances are unique. So I get asked, and I see it out there, God's a child murderer. He killed his only son. That's the one thing people don't seem to understand. Why in the world would God kill his only son, right? And then the next thing I hear is, oh, you believe in that God of the Old Testament that murdered and killed all those people and those kids, and you believe in incest because everything started with Adam and Eve, and then they start throwing all this stuff against you that if you don't have the answers and the understanding, you're just gonna cower back and not know what to say. And not under my watch, not under my watch, because you know what? There's an answer for all those things. And what I want you to do is grow. I want you to become a student of the word. What you shouldn't be is just an expert in your career or your vocation, and you know everything about it. I expect Colton to know more about God's word than he does diamonds. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Because the thing is, is when, you're in, when you become a student of the word, it's the scripture says, study to show thyself approved, a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed. 
And I've taught you guys about this in the past. What it means is he whittles down all the edges and makes you the exact value and weight of who you are so that you're fully accepted without having to try to be pretentious. He breaks shame out of your life, right? And so it's important that we really have an understanding but it's also important that you have experiences and testimonies because not all of us, it takes a whole lifetime to really accurately have an understanding of the depth and the power of God's word. I'll teach it my whole life and I'll learn more every time I teach it, okay? So there's a lot of concepts and understanding when it comes to defending your faith and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that this morning. My question is, how do you reconcile the God of the Old Testament with the God of love? I hear people ask me about the World Trade Center bombings, the Oklahoma City bombings, death to children, plagues, all the disease that we see. I had an Uber driver the other day that took me all the way out to Port A. And let me tell you, he got a full dose of the gospel. I'm not kidding you, okay? Because we didn't want to drive, our guests were staying out there, and it was, we didn't want to ride back that late on 361, so we just caught an Uber. Fortunately, Jeremy and Lauren gave us a ride back, okay? And so on the drive out there, the guy's on furlough from being in deplo deployed in the military. And he's done four deployments. Young guy, well-built, real strong, real handsome, probably in his early 30s. And so I dropped the bomb. I asked, my typical questions are always this. I ask them a little bit about themselves. I tell them a little bit about me. And then I say, so tell me about your spirituality and your faith. Tell me what you believe about Jesus. You know, one time I had an Israeli guy literally almost wrecked the car. My wife was in the car. The minute I said Jesus, he like swerved off the road and almost killed us all. I was about to meet Jesus face to face. So was he, that's right. And the guy just came right out. He says, I don't really believe. I said, so you're atheist? He goes, no, I'm an agnostic. I said, so you believe there is a God, but that God doesn't actively get involved in our life. He goes, that's right. I said, why do you believe that? I love to ask questions. He said, because I've seen so much death and war and destruction, I've had my best friends killed in the military right by my side through IEDs. I've seen the worst, and I think to myself, if there's a God, how could he allow that happen? Now, I got about a whole five minutes to answer that question. And let me tell you, I answered it. Now, I know y'all wanna know what I said. Here's the thing. God gives you the right words for everybody. I, you have to know where that person's at and you have to be able to speak prophetically in that situation, but also have it be doctrinally in a way that it's palatable that they can understand. And that's my heart for you. Because if we're gonna set captives free, then I'm gonna give you the tools biblically, but also spiritually from what God has said, but also what he's saying right now. Listen, how do you defend when somebody comes to you and you're gonna talk with them or God comes to the door and they say, here's one thing I get all the time. I don't even believe the Bible's real. I, I believe that man wrote the Bible, that it wasn't God. That's not God's word. It got changed for thousands of years. And, and I don't even believe the Bible's true. Well, if you don't know what to say to that, you're shut down in about a whole two seconds. And it's difficult when somebody says they don't believe the Bible's true, isn't it? Because you got scriptures to back up what you believe, but they don't even believe your scriptures. And I know you're all thinking, well, tell me how to answer that. I will over time. I'm going to give it all away right now, okay? <laughs> I'm going to make you come back. <laughs> so sacrifice is the blood of Jesus. My wife and I had some fun with this. I asked her. We talked back and forth. And she's giving me all these great answers. And she knows the answers. But the thing is, is you can't give classic Sunday school answers, guys. Yeah. 
You can't just give what, just what you were taught. It has to become real to you. It has to be something that has been applied to your life. You don't have to know all the scriptures or be a theological expert. What you've got to do is you have to have it personal so that it's something that never can be denied because the blood speaks, now your testimony speaks because your testimony is powerful. You are not the same woman that you were when you first came here. And you're going to keep growing, right? Now I have answers for all those. That's where the Firestorm School of Ministry is going to come in. So y'all can sign up for the school when it starts. Let's get the expansion done so we can get to training and equipping some people. That's my attitude, okay? What about if you have a, you know, I've had in my Uber rides, I have had Muslims and Buddhists and atheists. I had a guy that was a Muslim, and he, and I've already administered to Muslims before. And I had one guy sitting on the corner of Trinidad that was a Muslim and I said, listen, I believe God can touch you right now because Muslims don't actually believe there's an involvement in God's life for healing and power and an ever-present help in the time of trouble. It's works base of praying multiple times a day to an, attain a greater enlightenment. And so I said, you know what? I, don't have, I can't argue with you. Some of them know that, look, you don't have time for Bible ping pong with people. Some Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons will take you to task. You gotta have the power of God and the presence of God with understanding and confidence inside of you. And I said to that guy, let me pray for you. Can I pray for you? He goes, I don't, he goes, I don't know, I don't think come on, come here, man. I said, let me pray for you, it'll be all right. And I laid hands on him and God's power came in such a, such a presence that he said, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I had a tree trimmer guy show up at my house to cut some trees the other day. I'm not kidding. These guys were like straight out of prison, drinking, drinking beer, trying to make a buck. And let me tell you something, I respect that. I don't care what they're doing. Now, I was a little concerned the guy was gonna fall out of the tree, but fortunately he made it, okay? I was really praying. And I started prophesying over this one guy and he goes, he goes, you're gonna make me cry, and anybody that makes me cry, I beat up, you better get back from me right now. There is something inside of you, and I don't know what it is, but I can't be around me. It just happened the other day right in my front yard. I said, that's all right, bro. I said, God's coming after you to invade your space, and you just had an encounter right now. You are the door. You are the encounter, okay? But you do it from authenticity and love and spirit-led. Stop formalizing it and putting so much pressure on yourself, for goodness sakes. You think you gotta be the heralding evangelist to save the world? How about if you just become who you're supposed to become and it comes out naturally out of you? Yeah! I'm going on tangents today and I just don't care. Listen, stop trying to preach to the guy at the church down the street. We're not out to get a bunch of church transplants. If God sets it up, great. If you invite somebody that's going to another church, awesome. But don't try to take people from other churches. That's not where we're trying to get people from. We're out to preach the gospel to the hurting, the broken, the sick, and the dying. And those that are discontent at their church will look at you and say, I am seeing something in you that I want. I'm coming to visit you. Because some of you came from other churches. I get it. I understand that. And some of you might go to another church in this town. But we're not out to be church stealing congregants from other churches. And my attitude is if you can go to the church down the road, hasta luego, baby. I love you, but we're not called to every single person. You're not my sheep. You're God's. It's the kingdom. Plant, 
you don't get to pick your church. The Holy Spirit leads and guides you where you're supposed to be. You didn't get to pick your mama and papa as much as you would have liked to pick somebody else. Am I right? I am on a roll today. Woo! How about when people are angry at God because they've had a tragedy and it's God's fault? And you're the nice, loving, super sweet, gentle, humble Christian, and they are angry at God. How about when people mentally are not all there? Ever met somebody like that? Do not raise your hand or look left or right, okay? <laughs> Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. This is the essence of where I'm going this year. This is, you've got to understand, God is raising up a militant church and will do all he can to divide you and I. You can find plenty of faults in me and I can find plenty of faults in you. But the greatest desire of God is unity. But the devil's doing all he can to blind the minds of everybody that you encounter. I get it that we protect ourselves and we even fight wars and we even have, have first responders and police officers that are out in the streets fighting for our safety. And sometimes they have to make decisions that are hard, right? Yeah. But in the end, you need to understand that our war is not against a person. Amen. Our war is against a spirit specifically named Satan and the devil. And the greatest ploy of the devil is to get you to believe he doesn't even exist. He's so subtle. He's a sly snake. And he hides in hiding so you don't see him. And at the right time, bam, he springs into action to devour you. And so the Bible gives us authority over snakes and scorpions. It is a spiritual understanding of what we're battling in our life. Yeah. And this scripture makes it very clear that there's a God of this age. Who's the God of this age? Enemy. Who? Enemy. Satan, the devil, the enemy. Now, I'm not devil happy. When you live upright and righteous, man, Jesus really does the rest. Okay? You just shut the door. Everybody say, I'm shutting the door. Now, there's times that things start to go a little bit haywire. Screws are getting loose and springs are popping. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world's happening right now? Because this something's going on outside of my control, and the devil is trying to infiltrate and, and do something right now. You ever have that? It's like, wow, all this crazy stuff's happening? But once you grow and you understand his schemes and his plans and what he's trying to do, you're not caught off guard by it, nor am I chasing down devils. I'm not chasing down devils. What I'm doing is I'm living upright and righteous and walking in confession and walking in repentance and standing in the blood of Jesus and I'm being a son and I'm shutting the door. But he say, I'm shutting the door. Shutting the door. That's right, because the devil can only get to have what you give him a right to have. Right? That's the only thing he can do. And so it says the devil works on overtime to blind the minds of unbelievers. And this is where we'll be going with blind mind is this understanding that there's a spirit that's bringing darkness and deception over the minds of people. Why? So that the light of the gospel does not shine on them and reveal the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image, to reveal the image of God and that it won't shine on them. To reveal the image of God, I like the NIV version says, so that it's not displayed, so that they can't see it. So our job is to tear away the blinder. It's pretty simple. Anybody that is not born again and anybody that has not given their life to Jesus has a blinder on their head. Anybody, and I love, I'll say it to all y'all. I asked my friend yesterday that came by, are you born again? And I love the honesty, he's like, no. 
I said, well, dude, you are never gonna step into what God has to you for you till you surrender. And it's a miracle you're even still standing here. You need to surrender all to Jesus and take the crown off your heart. Remember, I taught not long ago, you can't get figs from a bramble bush. Bramble bush is the thorns used as a false crown, and it means people put a false crown on their heart. And I'm like, dude, take off the crown, man. And I say it just like that. Like, I love you. Take the crown off your heart. Now, there's no formula to preach that. It's understanding the word and what God's done in me and giving me insight and then speaking the right word at the right time to that person. There's blinders. The devil is blinding people's eyes so that they cannot see. And our job is to tear away the blinder. And it's important that you, need to, that you understand the Bible gives us a lot of understanding on how to do it, what to say, and how to do it. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26. Are you guys all right? I'm full speed ahead today like a rocket ship because I'm going to get it all in. You're going to get to take notes or go back and listen to the message, all right? Because this is an important message. I got a lot to do next week in the context of this. So this is a powerful set of scriptures. First of all, whenever we're talking with anybody, you should avoid at all costs. It means do not go there with foolish and ignorant disputes. I don't need to argue with anybody about scriptures with Bible ping pong. Some people want it and some people don't. I don't need to argue with the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons or anybody else. I don't care where you come from. What I want to do is I want to not dispute, but I also want to defend. And there's a way to defend without having to have strife and a dispute that's unhealthy. You know that? I'm going to teach you a word today about defending the gospel here in just a moment. Because we all should be able to have an answer when somebody asks about the hope that's inside of you. All right? So, next verse. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but should be what? Gentle does not mean weak. Gentle doesn't mean weak, but I'll take the title of gentle. And I'll take the low road just like Jesus did to the cross. So the Bible says Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter and he could have called down legions of angels and busted up their heinies. But instead what he did was he just let them lead him to the cross and didn't say a word because he chose to lay his life down and power would come when the blood was shed, right? And so what we're to do is to be gentle and not quarrel and we're, we're supposed to be able to do what? Teach. And you're supposed to be patient, Next verse, and you're supposed to be humble. Where's the humility? Where's the ability to teach? Where's the gentleness in the body of Christ? It doesn't mean weak. It means it's a display of who Christ is. And the ability to correct those who are in opposition. That word correct, if you look up that word in the Greek, means to put under, it means to put into submission, it means to put into examination like the other word, and it means that you have the authority in your life to correct somebody else, but you're supposed to do it by the Spirit with humility, gentleness, patience, and compassion, and do it in God's way, not your righteous religious way. Any of you ever met a crazy self-righteous religious person? Maybe an old school Pentecostal person? Pentecostal holiness, I've been told that I was going to hell when I had long hair and earrings. Seriously. 
But my response isn't to beat them up, but my response is to know the word and to be confident in myself and to be able to lovingly either speak to them or just be silent. And God says, it's not even worth it. I can't tell you how many times the Lord just says to me, you don't even need to get into that conversation. Just nod your head. I had a setup from God over New Year's to preach to somebody. I knew the Lord told me to do it. The situation was right. And there was another guy there that started uh, that interjected himself. I'm going to tell you the situation or scenario. He interjected himself and he said, what do you think about masonry and being a mason? And he came right in and he's like, wanted to know. He wanted to put me on the, on the defensive strategy against, and yet God had a plan for me to speak to the other person. You know what I did? I said, bro, I said, I'm not going to get into an argument with you. I'm not going to sit here and go, because I'm telling you, I could have gone all night back and forth with that. And that God, that wasn't my mission at hand. And so the enemy came in to derail what God was trying to do with this other person, okay? And so what you have to know is that people are gonna be in opposition no matter who they are. Even Christians will be in opposition against you. Your own family will come in opposition against you guys sometimes. Stop taking offense and being offended and feeling like you gotta be the righteous judge. Instead, take the low road. Be gentle, be patient. Be humble, but have the ability to stand for what you believe. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, possibly, perhaps, God will grant them repentance so that they could know the truth. Because they don't know the truth. People don't know the truth. And what we want is them, God to grant them repentance because we co-labor with the Lord. Look at the next verse. That God would grant them the truth and that they would come to their senses and escape the snare of who? Who's done what? Taking them captive. This is the eternal struggle. This is the battle at hand. This is the war we're in. It's not a war against each other. It's a war against an enemy who has got people out of their mind and they're not in their senses. And so what we're praying, like every Uber driver, my prayer is, Lord, grant them repentance. God, I pray that they would turn from their ways and I pray that they would come to know you, right? Because why? The enemy has people held captive and we are out to break captivity in people's lives. Now, when somebody doesn't believe the Bible, it's difficult to convince them of what God has said or has to say concerning a situation. You have to remember this scripture, 1 Corinthians 2.14. You can't expect the world to adhere to your standard. They're not born again. What's the scripture say? The natural man. The word natural man means the man without the spirit who's like an animal. Look it up in the Greek. It literally means to be just like the animals, but not to have the spirit of God inside of them. So the natural man, he doesn't even receive the things of the spirit of God. They're foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. What it means is they're, they're already in crisis and they can't see what you see. That's to, su to sum it up for you. And so the natural man can't receive or can't know the things of the Spirit of God because they think that you're a moron. The word foolishness in the Greek is the word moron. How many of you would like to be called a moron? Anybody? Well, I got news for you. Just preach the gospel and somebody's going to call you a moron. People come here and think I'm a moron because I preach the gospel. It's, the word foolishness means a blockhead or it's, an, it's, a, it's a moronic way of thinking. But that's because they don't understand. 
So our job is to believe and to pray for the blinders to be lifted off and to speak the right word that penetrates their heart and sets the captives free, okay? They can't see or they can't know what you know the way that you know it. And I also can't speak that same language I might speak to you to somebody in the world. That's why we need the spirit of prophecy. That's why we need God's mouthpiece in our mouth. We need the breath of God flowing right out of us, okay? Remember this. In everything that we do, we co-labor with God. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says that we're co-workers or co-laborers with God. That's why I say to you, it's not my job to save anybody. I can't save you. What I can do is I can bring life and salvation, and I can rescue in the context of I'll be a hand and a feet, and I'll even write a check sometime to get you out of the situation. But salvation comes from Jesus. And it says in the scriptures that we co-labor together. We're his fellow worker. So when I'm preaching to somebody, I know that God is working on my behalf in their life at the same time. My prayer is that they would come to their senses, the blinders would be lifted, and that they would come to repentance. How about this scripture, John 6, 44? I understand that nobody can come to Jesus unless what? The Father draws them. So nobody can come to, to Jesus unless the Lord is supernaturally working in your life to draw them to him. When someone doesn't believe the Bible's God's word or believe that it came from man's interpretation, there's so much information that has confirmed the accuracy of God's word. Do you know that? I mean, there's things like study of linguistics and different languages that have confirmed the accuracy of God's word. There's archaeological proof of scriptures and promises and the word that have accurately been found. There's scientific proof out there that the Bible is accurate and true. There's even proof in the stars in the sky in astronomy, okay? Now, I don't have time to sit down and go into a long discourse with each of you about all the scrolls that were found and all the reasons why the Bible is accurate. But there are promises out there that we can adhere to that, that definitively prove the infallibility of God's word. You just got to know what they are. And sometimes I get with an intellectually minded person where I need to be able to explain to them some of those things. So I would challenge you to take time to learn about those. Do research online. Be careful what you read. Read the Bible. Read Bible study notes. Look up histories and contexts. Look up artifacts that were found. Look up archaeological studies out of Israel and around the world. You'll find so many things. But what I want you to know is that there's a better way. In order to accurately reflect and defend the gospel, we have to think long and hard about what we believe, and we have to know it for ourselves. The Bible and the kingdom of God must become personal to you. Here's why. Revelations 12, 11. Revelations 12, 11 says we overcome the enemy, how? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Right now, I want to really focus on your testimony. And we'll talk more about the blood of Jesus. We'll, we'll all explain try to explain it to you in a way that can really help you to understand why Jesus had to be a sacrifice and why the blood was shed on the cross. And I want you to be able to accurately explain it, to understand. I've taught it before, but I'm going to teach it to you again, hopefully next week. But what I want you to see here is when you lay your life down and you don't have a love for your own life, you're not concerned what anybody else has to say about you. You got to get past the man-pleasing spirit. You might even just bomb it to no end. Who cares? 
the Lord's going to be happy that you tried. Share, get a testimony. Share your testimony. Share what God's done personally in your own life. It's your, one of your greatest weapons next to the blood of Jesus, all right? Get a testimony. Get experiences. Build them daily, not just 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Build daily experience. Take a chance. My life is full of life because I take a chance, okay? We must never lose sight of the gospel for ourselves if we're going to accurately share it with others. At the same time, it's vital that we know God's word and that we know what it says in order to accurately defend, regardless of whether people believe the Bible or not. It doesn't really matter whether somebody believes the Bible's true or not. Do you know that? You know why? Because it's true, and it has power. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is quick and sharp, more powerful than any double-edged sword. They didn't have machine guns back in that day, but if they did, they might have put that in the scripture, better than any nine millimeter. They didn't have that back then. But the point is, is God's word is more powerful than an earthly weapon. And what it does is when I speak the word, it penetrates into the hearts of people. Now, not everybody's gonna receive it, right? The scripture says in John 3, 19, check this out. People love the darkness better than they love the light. And there's some people that when I bring light and scriptures to their life, they just repel me back because they don't wanna change. They want to stay where they're at. But that doesn't keep me from stopping, do you, right? And so the thing is, is whether they do or they don't doesn't negate the accuracy of what it is and what it can do. Hebrews 4.12, John 3.9. Another great scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 2.14. This whole little passage of scripture talks about how you're a diffuser. You're diffusers, right? And that basically everywhere you go, I'm sorry, it was 2 Corinthians 2.14, that everywhere you go, you're diffusing life or death. And that to some people were the aroma of death. Did you know that? I mean, that's pretty crazy. But you know what? I'm still gonna be an aroma. Listen, you smell one way or another. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 2.14. You smell one way or another. What is it? 16, thank you, 2.16. It says that to some those that are perishing were the aroma of death, and those that are coming into life were the aroma of life. I'm going to believe for everybody be the aroma of life, and they're still going to get a big whiff of me as a diffuser. Now, that might be scary for some of you, but still, it doesn't matter. You are a diffuser. Everybody say, I'm a diffuser. So some people are going to receive it, some aren't. It doesn't really matter. I'm still going to love them just the same, right? Let's just go back real quick to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 through 26. We're to avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, not quarrel, be gentle, able to teach, patient, humble, able to correct those in opposition with the hope that God would grant them repentance and set the captives free from the devil's grip on their life. And I'm gonna leave you with this as I close this morning. This morning, I wanna teach you a word that I have never taught on. I'm sure you've heard it, but I wanna help you understand it. And it's a word called apologetics, okay? Now, I've seen apologetics gone astray. The word apologetics doesn't mean I'm making an apology for what I believe. I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to preach to you. What it means is, is that I'm able to accurately defend what I believe and why I believe it. Now, I'm not on the defense, I'm on the offense. We're, the church is offensive, not defensive, okay? 
However, there are times that people are going to be in opposition to what you believe, aren't there? We know it's in the scripture. We know people are going to come against you and try to throw things your direction that are in opposition. And so there are times that you have to be able to defend what you believe and why you believe it. And I have to quickly ascertain whether that person really wants to know or do they just want a good argument. Because I'm not out to, I'm avoiding foolish disputes. And there's sometimes people, like I've had people, let me tell you a question I get a lot. How in the world do psychics and tarot card readers know what they know? I've got that a lot. Because I walk in the supernatural. And they're like, man, I, growing up, I went to the psychic and the tarot card, or I went not long ago, and they told me all about my upbringing, my childhood, and about my life, and where I grew up, and all these different things, and it was so crazy, and they even told me that I was going to fall in love, or get remarried, or whatever, and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, all right, I mean, do you really want to know? Yeah, I really want to know. Okay. <laughs> Take a deep breath, and I say, well, listen. There's a supernatural world around us that's outside of this dimension that what you can see. And the devil also has a network and a kingdom and familiar spirits that have been following your whole life and know everything about you. They knew where you grew up, that the enemy's kingdom can tell you all about your life because they have an assignment against you. And the enemy can only bring information, not revelation. And so it's the psychic's best guess to tell you about your future. But God is a foreteller, not a fortune teller. Those are fortune tellers because they make money by it. And I'm telling you about a sentence into it, I lose them and they just don't even want to hear anything else I have to say. And so I'm telling you, I've had family ask me that question. You know what I do? I say, listen, how much do you really want to know? Because I stop wasting my breath and I want to, you've got to learn to discern people. It's a spirit, there's not a formula. I can't give you five steps to be a better evangelist and to preach the gospel. I can give you one. And it encompasses being everything God's called you to be confidently as a son and daughter with the Holy Spirit and power. Yes, gain understanding. In all of your understanding, gain understanding. If you work with a bunch of Buddhists and they really are asking you questions, study what Buddhists believe and how that compares to what you believe. You can find every single thing you want on the internet today. Okay, seriously. You have to, be, you have to read with the lenses of Christ and the Holy Spirit, but you can get a lot of information about a lot of belief systems. But I have found, I don't try to refute people on their belief systems. I try to speak prophetically right into their heart of what they're going through and what they need in that moment. And it, when God shows up on the scene, it doesn't matter what they believe or what you say, God's presence came. Am I right? That's why we need a church that hosts God's presence. You need to be in a place where God's present. You know, I'm constantly having to defend. I live in a world of apologetics. I have to defend why the worship's so loud, why the worship's so long, why the lights are dim, why we let the kids in come into the second service, why do we pray in tongues, why didn't we have 40 and over, why didn't we do this, how come we did that, why didn't we do that? I'm like, come on, people. That's the last stuff I need to be defending. <laughs> I get it. Our style and preference may not be for everybody. I always see people get up and leave during the services. But you know what? I've had to learn to be okay with that because I have to understand I can only be who I'm called to be and do the best that I know to do and to be upright before God in all my actions. And he does the rest. He does the rest. So I'll show you just a few quick scriptures we're going to pray. Acts 26.2. 
This is where Paul, we got to go to Caesarea. It's this awesome coastal town on the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, man, the history of Caesarea is incredible. And Paul's there and he's on trial and he's being questioned by Felix and King Agrippa. And they're speaking and talking about all this stuff. And he answers, he says, listen, King Agrippa, today I'm going to answer for myself. The word answer for yourself is the word apologetics. It means that I can confidently speak for myself about why I believe and what I believe. Okay? You have to be able to answer for yourself. Okay? He was under accusation of all kinds of crazy stuff. Romans 2.15. This is an awesome scripture. This scripture talks about your conscience either accusing you or excusing you. And the word to be excused by your conscience means that you have a defense. It means that I'm upright in my heart, and it doesn't matter what you say or what happens, I know before God and, my, and myself that I stand upright before him. Why? Not because I've been so perfect, but because of the blood of Jesus. Come on, guys, I'm giving it to you today. Grow. Come on, grow, church. Grow as a garden. Gain understanding. God gives you the ability to not live in shame and accusation. He gives you the ability to be excused. It means I can def effectively defend against the lies of even my own conscience that would try to tell me God doesn't love me. Have you ever heard it? You ever heard in your own ears, man, God doesn't care. He's not with you. He doesn't love you. You're too this, you're too that. And man, you're never gonna get it and you're such a failure. Your life's not valuable. And then your conscience rises up and says, that's a lie. And now your own conscience, which is born again in Christ, begins to defend you. It's apologetics at its finest. And then the greatest scripture, well, I guess I won't say it's the greatest. I'll show you this one, Philippians 1, 6 through 7. Paul makes this powerful statement that he's a defender and a confirmer of the gospel while he's in chains. Because it didn't matter what his circumstance looked like, he's in prison, and he says, I am a defender. Next verse. I love that one, though, by the way. God will complete what he started in you. But then look what he says. He says, just as right for me to think, of, uh, think this of you, all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. No matter what your natural circumstance looks like, you're a confirmer and you're a defender of the truth. Isn't that powerful? And then this is the one this scripture right here, 1 Peter 3, 15. This is such a powerful scripture. Set apart God fully in your heart. Sanctify God in your hearts. And always be ready, always as always, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope of the gospel that's in you with meekness and fear. And what I've learned is people will look at your life, your coworkers, people working at your homes, people surrounding you, your family, and they're gonna say, something has changed inside of you. Why are you living and acting the way that you're living? And you're ready to give an answer or a hope of what's inside of you. Your life and how you live causes people to wanna know what is it about you. You're different than everybody else that I know. Or you're not that old clubbing, partying, smoking, drinking, sleeping person you used to be. What is it? What is the hope in you? Said so The Bible says always be ready to give an answer of the reason and to give a defense. That word defense means apologetics. 
It doesn't mean I'm sorry for what I believe. It means that I can confidently explain to you why I'm living the way that I live and adhere to what I live. Isn't that awesome? Love this scripture. Romans 1.16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know why? Because the gospel is the power, supernatural, miraculous power to save somebody. That's why you can't be ashamed of the gospel. But I'm teaching you this so you would learn the good news. The gospel means good news. And good news is perfect for everybody at the right time in their life. I just have to find out where they need good news. And I ask them, is there anything I can pray for you? Yeah, my, you know, my son, my daughter, my health, my this, my marriage. my, And that opens up the door for me to not only pray for them, but to speak into their life and share good news. To be ashamed of the gospel, the word ashamed means to deny, to disavow, to dis, and to dishonor. That's why Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and deny me in front of people, what will he do? He'd be ashamed of you and deny you before the Father. Now, that's a crazy hard scripture, but let me help you understand it, okay? It would be like this. I'm, I am a fighter for my wife, okay? I'll make up a scenario right now. Let's say Lauren came to me and started getting on me about stuff she's seen in my wife and things that she doesn't like. And I said, you know what? You're right. Man, my wife is so jacked up and so this. And I start dishonoring my own wife. Could you imagine? To somebody else. How's she going to feel? Am I going to get honor from her? That's the point I'm trying to make. We want to be honored by God, but yet we'll dishonor him in the way we live and in what we say because we can be ashamed of the gospel. Why would somebody be ashamed of the gospel? Shame in their personal life, sin, misunderstanding. How about anger? People are angry at God, and hence they're ashamed to call themselves Christian. I had someone tell me the other day, I'm ashamed to call myself a Christian now. Christian's got such a bad name. Listen, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because people are giving it a bad name doesn't mean you give it a bad name and doesn't mean we throw out all the terminology. The point is, is that we're not ashamed of the gospel because what we understand is first what it did for you. It saved you. The good news saved you. But now it has power to save the person you're sitting next to or in the car or at work or in your family or your home or your children or everywhere you go. And it's to everybody. In verse 17, I love this one. In the gospel is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is revealed, how? From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's what it means. It's that I, the faith I have today grows stronger tomorrow. The faith I have today is stronger than the faith I had yesterday. I'm constantly in process of growing in my faith. I started with faith, I continue by faith, and I'll keep living by faith. The just shall live by faith. And so righteousness is revealed from God to me, my faith rises up, and now I bring that righteousness and confident faith to other people's lives. Whew. So are you guys ready to do this? Now, you're going to need help. You, you, you got to be in an atmosphere that flames you on, and you got to grow in your understanding and have experiences with God. That's why up here in worship, man, I want to tune things out. I either want to sit down and just rock back and forth, or I'm going to move. I, this is what I do personally, okay? And I'll tell you why I do it. Because I get distracted really easily. I'm just telling you, okay? And if I start looking at the people dancing around me or moving or this, I start getting overly consumed. Let me just tell you all right now. We have a bad sound system. 
I'm, t- I'm being honest with you. We have low ceilings, we have speakers against the wall, and we have a sound system that we bought, I don't know, six years ago from Guitar Center. Now, when we expand, that'll all change. We'll have ceilings all the way to the roof, and we'll get a better sound. The drums are too loud. It's hard to get a good mix. It's not anybody in the sound booth's fault. But if I'm sitting here going, man, the the music and the person dancing, and I'm getting sidetracked about this and about that, I'm going to miss the moment that God has for me because I'm too consumed with myself to worship. You can worship to an old 1980s Casio keyboard if God tells you to, and I don't care if it's a techno beat. I have done it. Get past styles and preferences and likes. This is much bigger than that. We're not the typical Western Americanized church, guys. This isn't about lights and smog fog machines and all the glitz and the glam. Will we have some better lights? Yes. Will we create ambiance? Yes. Is atmosphere important? Yes. But nothing's as important as the presence of God. And the presence of God doesn't come because you were such an excellent worshiper. The presence came because you were authentic and you gave it the best you had. That is an awesome word right there. Man, I just fired myself up. Let's all stand. I'd like to ask my prayer partners and my ministry team to come up. And this morning... I want us to pray for you if you have been battling being able to share your faith. And I'm going to keep teaching you guys. Keep coming back because in the next several weeks, I'm going to be talking about the gospel and how you make it relevant and share it in a relevant way in your personal life and to those that are around you, all right? Now, you know this is all a setup for what's coming because God is equipping us and empowering us to go transform the world that's outside of this place. And so... We're going to be talking a lot more about all those questions and how you bring the answers and things that you say and don't say, all right? But this morning, if you are distant from God, if you feel, if you don't know how to share, but you want to, maybe you have been angry at God. Maybe you have been ashamed and you don't want to be ashamed. Maybe you were taught everything in the wrong way by your parents, by Christian TV. I don't care what it is. What I want you to do is I want you to lay your life down and repent and surrender and believe that God is granting you repentance, the ability to change the way you think. The word repentance is a mental health word. It means change the way you think and you'll change the way you live. Do you know that? You will turn because I got the revelation. And so this morning, I want you to get revelation. If you've been living in sin, I don't care what it is. You come up today and let somebody pray for you. If you're sick in your body, come up and let somebody pray for you. If you want to share your faith but don't know how, if you've been hurt, wounded, bruised, and beat down, let somebody pray for you this morning. If you're angry at me or this church, forgive me. I don't want it to be that way. We, we are a beautiful mess and in process. Let's get our eyes off one another and get them on Jesus and love well. And this morning, if you need to forgive, if you've been angry at your spouse, grab him or her and come up here and let somebody stand with you. That moment of touch could transform your life. And if you're not born again, don't leave the same. Take the crown off your heart this morning and let's surrender all to Jesus. You can start making your way up as I pray for you.